Why should you never date an exclamation point? Oh my gosh, they are way too much. They're extra divas all the way. Too possessive. (laughs) That's apostrophe. Oh, whatever. (laughs) I can't even remember. (laughs) She practiced for like three days to get that right. (laughs) I was like, is it a semicolon or is it an apostrophe? Just another kind of free form rock and roll. Make you groove solo, maybe wanna tap a toe. Just another kind of free form rock and roll. Make you groove solo, maybe wanna tap a toe. All right, welcome back to Polecast Season 2. How are we feeling? Pretty good. Yeah? Feeling alive. Yeah? Well, I'm Madison Fantosi, your host. And I'm your co-host, Leah Bartholomew. So this season on Polecast, we're highlighting different services that students can find on campus and online through Polk State College, from tutoring and activities outside of the classroom to support, including scholarships, mental health services, food pantries, all sorts of different stuff that students can benefit from here at the college. And today we have Dr. Rebecca Ramos, professor of English with the Polk State Writing Studio, joining us. So thank you for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Dr. Ramos joined the college in 2008 as an adjunct professor and has taught developmental education courses at Polk State full-time since 2010. In 2017, she was honored as an endowed teaching chair, receiving funds to enhance education opportunities through professional development, enhance technology in the classroom, and her initiative, the Polk State Writing Studio, which provides students with in-person and online writing assistance. So we're super excited for you to be here today with us and to, you know, share with students what the writing studio is really about. Oh, I'm super excited to do it. Awesome. Um, So... For starters, can you tell us a little bit about what the writing studio offers to the students? When was it launched and kind of where the inspiration came from for the writing studio? Sure. Um, The inspiration for the writing studio came from Dean Robinson saying, we need you to do this. And Dean Robinson is an amazing person to work under. And when she said, do this, I said, okay. So she actually waited. I think I think it was a little bit of like a calculation on her part she waited until like two weeks after I finished my PhD nice and pulled me into her office and she was like Rebecca we need to help students with their writing a little better and I was like cool let's do it so in we launched just a very small trial of it in um, spring of 2017 so we had the meeting I had the meeting with April in February and we opened just for the month of April and we managed oh that was funny right April and April okay so I had my meeting with April, and I opened the writing studio in April. And there was another service in Lakeland that was kind of a sister service. They were doing workshops that were very geared towards um, topic instruction for students. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to do something where students had a place to come and work with their English professors on their assignments outside of the classroom. And we know that students don't like to come to our offices because it's really kind of offices are intimidating if they're not Leah's office. So... Um, we wanted to have that space for students to just come and, and be able to work with us on stuff. So just in that first month, we had 40 students come, and that was amazing. Wow. Yeah, so um, we've we've kept it going since then, and it's all run by volunteer English professors. They volunteer a couple of their hours every week of their office hours, and they spend time waiting for students to show up and let us help you with your writing stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. But how many students are you guys getting in there now? Um, we Well, last year we joined forces with Lakeland. So now we have two writing studios. We have one in Lakeland, we have one in Winter Haven, and we also have um, Professor Rivers works in JDA with the writing studio as well. And then we have online hours for our centers. Um, when we joined forces with Lakeland last year, since then we've launched our online stuff as well. 
which has given us about 600 students enrolling in the online show and using the online show. And we have about 250 visits per semester. It's great. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, it's really cool to have the students coming in and working with us. That's awesome. I kind of want to jump ahead a little bit because as you're talking, I'm seeing your semicolon tattoo. Yes. That's awesome. (laughs) My semicolon tattoo. I love it. Yes. And it has a double meaning. Um, the semicolon is my favorite punctuation mark. I tell my students it's the sexiest one because if you can use it well, then you're like, you're cool, right? But you can't overuse it either because then you're like just trying too hard to be cool. So I totally agree. Yeah, semicolons are like that really fine line balance, you know. But it's also, there's a semicolon project and um, for people who have struggled with addiction, mental illness, Mm -hmm. um, in my family, we have a history of, of suicide and drug addiction and and in my own life, mental illness. So it's the idea that the semicolon could stop a sentence. Like you could stop a sentence when you put a semicolon in there. It could be a complete end of a sentence and you're good. But when you put the semicolon, you're telling your reader, I know that it could stop here, but I'm going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I want you to see the next part too and how it's connected. That's cool. So the semicolon for me is cool because I'm an English professor, but also it has a lot of symbolic meaning. Yeah, I like the extra meaning. Too. Yeah, it has that meaning that like there are so many people in my life, in my own life, where the story could have stopped and it could have been just over, but you decide to keep going. Awesome. Yeah. How is the writing studio addressing the need of students? I mean, can they get, can students get assistance with any class or is it specifically English courses? You know, if they're writing essays for a history course, can they bring that to you guys as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, we kind of work with two different groups of students in the writing studio. Um, one of the student groups of students, this is a policy thing, so it's a little nerdy on my part, but I love policy. Nerd so. alert. I'm total nerd alert right now. Um, but several years ago, we used to have a system set in place. Whenever students come to Polk State College, they take a college readiness test and every student took it. And then every student was assigned either developmental education courses, which are the courses I teach, mm-hmm. or they went into their composition one course. Um, and what the dev ed courses do is they kind of get students who aren't quite ready to take on that big research paper and all of that stuff that's going on. They're not quite ready for that. They need a little bit of review for apostrophes and fragments and exclamation points exclamation points and research they just need like a little bit of time to get ready before they jump into that college credit class um and then in 2013-2014 the senate in florida changed that so students who had a regular florida diploma who had graduated after the years of 2003-2004 um they were no longer required to take those courses and many of our students chose not to. Why would you, right? right. I want to get right into my college classes. Right. But the problem is that those students who are jumping right into their college classes still need a little bit of support. Right. And they still need a little bit of extra help. Mm-hmm. So the writing studio gives those student, students um, a place both online and in person to get that review that they need. And if it's just a quick brush up, they can get it. If they need a little bit more of intense work with their professor, they can get it as well. But we also have another group of students because, as we all know, when you're in college, you write for every class except for maybe math, and even some math professors make you write. Right. So writing is a skill. It's like a muscle. And it doesn't stop when you're done with your comp class. When you're done with comp two, you still have to learn how to write. And a lot of times, the way you write changes because now you're writing for a science professor. Well, they don't give a crap what you're opening grab attention grabbing opener for your essay is they want you to be able to write in a scientific manner or 
you're writing for a psychology professor and they don't care what MLA is, they want APA. So we also have that group of students who are trying to take what that really good writing instruction that they got in comp one and comp two is and mold it to apply it to their pathway and to what they're going into in those courses that they have to write for. So we are there to support them and we are there to support the students who are in comp who need extra help. We have a lot of dev ed students who come in who need extra help as well. So we work with um, any student who needs help with writing, but we're really focused on those two groups, the ones who need review and the ones who need to learn how to apply writing in their in their fields. Right. Yeah. I like the point that you made about, I mean, just realizing that college students have to juggle maybe all these different sorts of styles or formats that they need to write in. Because for me coming, I used to be a reporter at the ledger. And so I, you know, I went to journalism school and it was ingrained in me that you write in AP style. Mm -hmm. And then coming into higher education, it's like, well, no, there's these other ways of writing MLA. And I'm trying to like pull these little pieces from high school or, you know, early college when I was writing in all those different ways. So having a resource like that is super valuable because it's hard to juggle everything and all the different styles. It is. And they're so incredibly different. Like I did um, my undergrad and graduate degree were in lit. So that is APA all the, or MLA all the time, all MLA. I didn't even write an APA paper until I got to my PhD. And I was like a professional. I was in my 30s and I thought I, knew, I was teaching college and they were like, this paper needs to be an MLA. And all of a sudden I felt like I was in seventh grade again. I didn't know what I was doing. And it took a long time for me to be able to make that switch from the MLA that had been taught to me for so long into an APA format, which is incredibly different, not just in the structure and the, and the references, but in the language you use and how you write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, when I went through that, I, and I was already an English professor, how in the world are our students going to do this without more support? So right. that's really, that's one area that I'm super passionate about is getting APA instruction out to our students who need it. We have a few professors, <clears throat> professor mentioned, to mention one, who holds on to Chicago style. And they make my heads explode. Right. I mean, nothing but love for them, but they're killing me with Chicago. You're killing me, Chicago. You're killing, killing me killing with me. Chicago. <laughs> the students come in, they're like, I need Chicago. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't like it. I don't understand Chicago. Let's go get the handbook. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, the majority of our students, they had that problem switching from the MLA to APA. Well, students, don't be scared to come out and get help. I mean, even professionals who have been doing this for years still struggle with you know, the different styles and formats. So if you have the service that can help you, then don't be afraid to yes. reach out. Come use it. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're going to pick on the students a little bit. Okay, let's do I want to know what are the biggest mistakes that you see students coming in with in their papers and what they're looking to get help on? Um, let's keep the podcast under an hour. Under an hour. No, <laughs> no, I, got, I got a couple. Okay, so the first, the first issue that we see with students many times is that they haven't paid attention to what their professors have told them they have to do. So they come in and they'll have a paper written and I'll say, where's your assignment sheet? Where's where's the paper that your professor or the, where, pull it up for me on your canvas and show me what your professor's asking for. And many times as professors, we want our students to do well on our writing assignments. So we're very detailed about what you need to put into your paper, how it should be formatted, how long it should be. I mean, we give you those specific details so that you can be successful. And many times that's our first stop is, is I say, pull out whatever you're working on and we can go through it and you can see that what the student's written already doesn't match what the professor has said. So that's my first, one of our first issues that we have to kind of deal with. The second issue 
that I have with the students when they come in um, or the issue where they seem to struggle. They come in and, and, and they'll say, um, you know, I just don't know how, how to get started. And I say, all right, where's your outline? And they don't have one. Well, where's your planning? And they don't have one. And I think students underestimate how important that step is to stop and kind of think, what am I writing about? How am I going to get there? What's my main point? And how am I going to get my audience to my main point? What do I need to include? Um, so we do a lot of work with students just planning their papers. And once they have a good plan going, then they can, they feel like they can go out and they can do it, you know? Right. Um, and then the last one, students, and I think this is for everybody. I think we all just really struggle at editing our writing, just checking for grammar and punctuation and, um, it's hard for us, partly because our brains play this trick on us where we go back and we read what we just wrote and our brain totally knows what we meant to write. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when you look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's totally what I meant to write. And then if you go back to it a day later or even an hour later, sometimes you're like, what the crap did I just put out there? Like, what? what that was horrible. Why is that period there? You know, and you don't see it when you first look at it. Mm-hmm. So, um I try to give students some tips on how to edit their papers. And I think this is something we struggle with at all levels, even at the professional level. I send emails out sometimes and then I'll, I'll go back and look at it and I'm like, oh, crap, where's the reset? Like, where's, where's the bring you, it back button? You yeah, know? you always notice the mistake after you've sent yes. it. And it's, it's the worst when a student notices the mistake after they've submitted it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, no, I submitted it and I forgot to do this. So um, a couple of the things that we kind of tell students to work on with that is... Um, Google Translate will actually read your paper out loud to you, which is super horrible to listen to. It's like it's it butchers your paper and it makes it sound so clinical and so awful and boring. But it also makes it very obvious where there's our where those mistakes yeah. are. And you're like, oh, God, what's that? Mis- why did I do that? Why did I pick that word? You know, um, so Google Translate will do that. You can just upload your document and it will just read it to you. Neat. Also, in Microsoft Word and the newer versions of Word, there's a narrate button. Mm-hmm. And they'll read it to you. But a lot of times just getting students a day after they've written their draft to read it out loud. I have them sit in, in the writing studio. They think I'm crazy. But I say, I just start reading it out loud. Just read it out loud. And Mark, wherever you see something that that's weird or wherever you stumble over a sentence, that's your brain telling you there's a mistake there. Yeah. There's something you need to work on. Cool. Um, so once they do that, they, they start to look and they're like, oh. Yeah, I'm just going to go keep working on this now because I can see. So that's what I would say. I would say students, they struggle with following those assignments. If we could get students to pay attention to the directions that the professors give them, and if we could get students to plan what they're going to write before they try to write, and then to make sure that they reread it out loud, they actually hear what they've written at least once or twice, then I think students are going to be um, not making us as crazy. Hopefully. Hopefully. Man. Yeah. yeah. I do the email thing a lot. I do it too. It's hard to remind yourself, like, okay, stop for a second. There's a lot going on, but like reread what you wrote before you send it to the dean. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a, uh, <laughs> I, I designed a t shirt and then I sent in the subject line, here's your sh. <laughs> I left the R out. <laughs> and after I sent it, I was like, oh my God. Oops. How embarrassing. So I called him, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But yeah. Simple stuff like that. Simple, yeah, and um, it's always, and this is this is just for fun. This has nothing to do with the writing studio, but I've learned this trick. If you can hear yourself typing an email to somebody, you're too upset. 
Well, yeah. my keyboard. No, <laughs> you you know the normal typing sound, and then you know the sound when, when you're mad typing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you can hear the mad typing, like on my laptop, if I can hear the keys going... I'm, I'm too mad to write a logical email or I'm too emotionally involved in that email to write it logically. So I have to stop and, and Step wait. Step away for a minute, yes. cooling off period. Because when, when you're writing something emotional and students, I mean, this, this does apply to students because when they write about personal experiences that are difficult, mm-hmm. they tend to, um, and we're always honored when students share those stories with us. But uh, many times, those areas that are difficult for them to talk about will have many, many more grammar mistakes yeah. because it becomes emotional. And when we're emotionally writing, we're not writing with our head and thinking, okay, run on fragment, pronoun agreement. We're thinking, this is hard to write about. Like, how am yeah. I going to get this out? What other details do I need to put in there? So it's really difficult uh, when emotions or feelings and memories are involved in our writing to write well, especially when you're doing those narrative essays for comp and they want you to write about experience that's impacted you some students write about very personal things and and you can tell when the emotion kicks in because their grammar skills kind of go down and then it pops back up when they're back in their frame of mind when they're really interesting it's really fascinating of writing yeah yeah when you're writing about something that's emotional your grammar is a lot harder so pay attention to that if you're writing something that's emotional make sure you edit it extra (laughs) because you probably messed up well, that's some good advice for our students. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the response that you've received from the students? You know, if you have any special stories to share about someone who was particularly excited or happy to get the help that the writing studio offers. We have, um, we have, one of my favorite things about the writing studio is that I get to work with students that I've had in previous classes. So I have one student who, um, he is one of those students who's just super brilliant um, and he has anxiety and he has uh, some struggles. And so when he's in the class or he's doing his writing, he's very, um, he used to be when he started out with me, he was very timid and very nervous and very like, I'm not sure if this is right. I'm not sure if this is right. So uh, whenever he would come in and see me in the writing studio and he came in probably every week he was in there with me um, and there was a lot of just, all right, you know what you're doing, you know, calm down. Let's look at what you're looking at. Let's look at it objectively. And I mean, the dude passed, he just passed his comp two class with a B with like little, little actual stress because I've been working with him for two or three semesters now. So he's getting to this student in particular is getting to the point where he feels like he can manage a writing assignment when it comes at him and the anxiety doesn't kick in. And he's just like, I know my strategies. Ramos has taught me my strategies. I'm good. Um, I love having students that come back after they've had me in dev ed and then they go to comp and then they come back and they're and they're like, please help me with this comp paper. And I love that because I get to keep that connection with them as well and get to see them be successful Mm -hmm. in their in their composition courses. Um, And the other thing I have, I have a group of girls that come together because the writing studio is not like we work with students one on one. We can work with a group of students at a time, um, which students really like because the students who are nervous, they're like, they'll grab a couple friends and they'll all come in. So um, the second semester we were doing it, I had a girl who came, she was in my class and she needed help, but she was nervous. So she ended up bringing three or four of her buddies who were not, um, in my class at all. I had never met them before. And they started coming and bringing their writing assignments. And the four of them were just there every single week. So that was really exciting. And I still get to see them quite a bit. 
That's awesome. Yeah. So I like that students can come. I'm, I think students like that, too, that they can come together, and it's a group thing. Right. Um, it doesn't have to be, like, you alone talking to a professor. It can be, I brought my friend, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's awesome. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about where your passion for English comes from? Sure. Um, I remember I went to, when I went when I was an undergrad, I went with the idea that so many students go, and they're like, I have to have a major that I can get a job as soon as I graduate. And so I was in the edu- so funny because I have a PhD in education now and it's totally ironic. Like that is the definition of irony. But I was in these education classes and I hated them. And uh, I went to my advisor at the time and I said, yo, I hate these classes. These classes are so boring. They're telling me things like if a kid is sad, make sure he's included. Like, I know this. I don't need this, you know. Um, and he said, well, what did you enjoy studying when you were in high school? And I'd always loved I'd, I worked in the library. I had volunteered at the school library since I was like in elementary school. I just loved books and I loved reading and I loved literature and I loved talking about literature and I loved, um, I loved writing and, I, and all of those, those little things that I loved that I got to study in high school when you also have to do like economics, you know, and you're like, nah. but then you get to go to lit class and it's fun. Right. Um, so I told my, my advisor at the time, I said, you know, I, I really loved English and so he said, well, major in English. And I was like, well, what do you do with that? And he said, oh, you figure it out later. You're going to have to get a master's anyway, you know, at that point. when Once you decide you're not going for a career path, you have to get a master's anyway. So, um, so I ended up going with literature. And I just loved, I grew up in a very sheltered home. There was, um, I wasn't exposed to a lot of different worldviews and a lot of different points of view. And I love that literature gave me that window into another yeah. person's experience. And I got to see just a glimpse of what it was like for a person who had a completely different lived life experience than I did. And having conversations about that were so um, so invigorating in the classroom. And it was so interesting. When it gets to writing, writing is, is it's a skill. And, and I think... It's the way we teach it, we have to remember that it's a foundational skill that students need for everything. And they need to be able to write well, whether it's an email, so they don't they say shirt instead of shirt, or if it's they're writing a lab report, or if they're writing their memoirs and or their novel, they need to have that basic structure. And I when I was in grad school, that was the first time I had a professor rip my writing apart. It was it didn't happen until grad school. Wow. And I was in at UCF. I was taking William Faulkner. I'm not a fan of Faulkner. <laughs> but I was taking a grad class in William Faulkner. And um, we had to write response papers. And I remember I got the first one back and it said redo on it. And I was like, what yeah. is this? I don't <laughs> even understand what this is. Like, no, no, no. I get A's. Like, what is a redo? No, no, no. And the professor had written on there. I was so mad, but I remember I read it and she said, you're in graduate school. If you don't work on your writing, you will not last in graduate school. And I remember being so humbled by that but then it taught me how to have discipline in my writing and I think that's why I'm so passionate about helping students in their first class at Polk learn that structure and learn the basic strategies that they need so that when they get to that upper level class their professors don't just tear them apart and say you don't know how to write so if I can get them to have a little bit of knowledge you know how do you just basically do this um 
so they don't have that experience later on where they think they know what they're doing. I mean, I was an English major, you know, I graduated with honors from my undergrad and then I'm in grad school and my professor says this is crap. Right. It's a horrible moment. Mm-hmm. And so if I can help our students keep it, maybe not have that moment, <laughs> then it's important, you know, and it can be very discouraging it, to have a professor just tear your writing apart. And I see that I see that many times students come just in tears because they have a paper that they got back that's all marked up and you have to kind of walk them through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is hard, but it's also important that you learn and that you continue to grow as a writer from it. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a twofold there. I'm very passionate about literature and the exposure that it gives us. And then also the students who um, writing is is our basic form of communication with people that we're not looking at. So it's really important that your personality isn't diminished by your lack of skills. Mm -hmm. And you want what you're truly saying and you really think to come through and not be hindered by so many fragments that your reader can't read it or not having a paragraph structure that makes sense. So it's really important. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so you've grown from that redo in grad school to now writing your own books. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, I'm not. I'm okay. So I pretend to write books, but I haven't really written a book yet. Um, What I'm working on right now, I'm working on some research. This is my first time doing research outside of of like school stuff. So I'm really excited because I'm a nerd and I love research. But um, like I said, I had my PhD is in education policy and I think maybe last year, two years ago, I started going through this whole, all right, I kind of have a really good system down. Like, I feel like I'm really helping a lot of students. I feel like the writing studio is going where it needs to go. And I needed something personally fulfilling for me as well. Mm-hmm. So this summer, um, I'm launching my first, I'm, I'm doing research for my first online magazine, which I've never done before. Cool. But uh, the idea here is all about how we teach girls about sex education and how horrible it is. Um, and it's so demeaning and it's so um, unempowering for girls, the way that we teach them about sex. So what I'm doing this summer is I'm collecting stories from women around Polk County who are willing to share with me. And I'm just collecting their thoughts and their ideas and their stories and what they've learned. And I'm trying to create a better sex education program. So that's called The Real Woman Talk. And I'm building that. That's online now. Um, and that will be an online magazine. Really cool. Yeah, awesome. it's super fun. It's super fun. Definitely racy. Definitely a lot of racy stuff in there. But really important things that our girls need to know about. Yeah. That's... You know, like super important things that, you know, if you can make one, if and that's always kind of the driving passion behind all of this stuff. With APA, I ask myself the same question. With this, I ask myself the same question. Are you willing to make an enemy over that? You know, are you willing to have somebody look at you differently because of the project you're doing? Right. And, um... When I looked at this project, I was like, absolutely. I'm absolutely 100% willing to have people trash my reputation so that we can get girls better sex education. Wow, that's awesome. So that's what that is. I'm working on that. Super fun. Um, and hopefully really good for girls. So, yeah. Very cool. That's like a super fun project. Um, I tried to write a book once about a haunted church, but it's still in draft form. So maybe that'll that's happen fine. in like 20 years. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But my own writing has really been shaped by my education. And I've really started to look at um, what we can do better and what we need to research more. And that one that I landed on, it happened because my daughter came home and she told me that her friend at school almost caught her period once. Well, 
It my daughter's nine. It does happen. I know. <laughs> she like she's like my friend. My friend almost caught her period once. No. Like, oh God. And I was like, Well, honey, what do you what do you know about these things? You know, you start to yeah. When they're young, you don't want to be like, Well, this is how it works. Right. But I was like, Well, honey, what do you know? And she goes. Well, I've heard people talk about sex, but all I really know is about the peach emoji and the eggplant emoji. And I was like, do you know what that means? And she was like, no, I have no idea. No. So so I realized, and, and this at the same time when I was kind of going through that personal, like, what is my passion now? I've right. done my PhD, the writing studio is going, I'm working on APA. What is my personal passion that I'm going to work on? And I just started thinking about, I did the most millennial thing that anyone's ever done. I, I listened to a TED Talk. And I know, so millennial. So I listened to a TED Talk, and the guy in the TED Talks was talking about your own personal narrative Mm -hmm. and how your narrative and your story directs your life path. And when you're trying to find your passion, you have to look back at the moments of greatest joy and the moments of greatest sorrow or greatest shame in your life. And those are the moments that have created who you are. So when I went back and I looked at my own personal past, the moments of greatest joy and the moments of greatest shame have all had to be around my sexual journey and where I started as a very conservative, timid, prudish young girl to a woman who is now working on a sex magazine for <laughs> young women, you know? And uh, But those were my moments where um, I felt self-worth, I, I felt no self-worth, you know, those, those things that all kind of are wrapped up in in your sexual journey and that's where that's where my research and my passion pointed me so that's following it right now we'll see where it goes we'll see we'll see it'll be cool i'm following it we're following it to see what happens that's what you're supposed to do when you find it right it's great yeah yeah that's how you do it it'll be fun that's awesome well we're really excited about the work that you're doing here at the college and outside of the college i mean that's really exciting it's really fun i hope i hope we i hope everything works out and definitely for students Make sure that you check us out online. Online, we have a whole bunch of um, material up there for you for free. We have free plagiarism and grammar checker in the online Canvas shell. We have online office hours where you can work with professors online and show us your screens. And then we have a whole bunch of review modules. And then come see us face-to-face. There are professors available. Um, And we have signs up all over campus that say when we're around and and how to get into the Canvas course as well. And... um, I can make sure you all get the link for how students can enroll in the Canvas course so that it's really easy. It's just a free Canvas shell that you have as long as you want to be here, as long as you have it. Awesome. We'll include all that information wherever you guys are listening to this now. It's like above or below the little player. It'll be somewhere. It'll be somewhere for you to click on and get all the information. Yes. Okay, wait, I have one more joke. One more joke. Okay, I'm ready. The past, the present, and the future. Walk into the bar. It was tense. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Just another kind of free form rock and roll. Make you groove solo, maybe want to tap a toe. Just another kind of free form rock and roll. Make you groove solo, maybe want to tap a toe. Woo! Yeah! Woo! Yeah!